Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Hello, hello. My name is Joe Armstrong. As always, thank you ever so much for listening to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth reviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. This week on Independence Day, Stumpwaller. Stumpwaller is a Los Angeles-based band fronted by a native Alabamian with a penchant for preaching the gospel of rock and roll and outlaw country in the style of a raucous tent revival. Singer Mike Watford's affinity for Civil War-era murder ballads and Southern mythology might seem out of place in Southern California, but the rest of the band ably amps up the volume and tempo so that Watford can allow the spirit to move through him and flat-out refuse to let a jaded audience remain so. In an era in which woolly beards and retro clothing are the standard-issue uniform for many bands who flirt with the ghost of Johnny Cash, Stumpwaller's suit vests always have a pocket for a flask, because they know that the eternal truth about the balance between Saturday night and Sunday morning is that it reflects the eternal struggle between good and evil, as well as how humanity is at once stuck in the balance and careening its way to its next church pew or juke joint. Stumpwaller has a new record on the way, and their new songs are moving their sound farther from the blistering psychobilly of their origin story and expanding it in creative ways. Welcome to Independence Day, Stumpwaller. Hello, gentlemen. And I use that term loosely. How are we? <laughs> good, 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 good. It's fun to have a full band in here. It's been a while since I've had a full band. Thank you for dragging out all the instruments, dragging out all yourselves, and coming out in the heat of the Los Angeles late summer to come play some tunes for us. I can't wait to hear these songs. I can't wait for the listeners to hear these songs. But first, let's introduce the band. Let's just go down the line. We'll go Deacon. Deacon. Say hello, Deacon. <laughs> hello. Oh, I got you said he didn't do it. Say like, hello, Deacon, and you say... Deacon. No! <laughs> Let's try it with Mike. This is Mike Watford. Hello, Mike. Hello, Joe. How are you? Uh, close. He didn't do it either. Anyway, <laughs> I'm setting him up. I'm not knocking him down. And Abe, I'm not going to get this right, but Grosswasser, you also referred to as the Hebrew hillbilly. Correct. And you win, you win Best Shirt Award, by the way. Thank oh, yeah. you. Very nice. Thank you, yes. And then uh, last but not least, on guitar, we have Jason Ace Gonzalez. Say hello, Jason. Hello. Welcome. So you guys are a whole band. You've been around for how many years now? This isn't. This is, you're not going to spring chickens. You guys have been doing this a while. We've been together in one form or another for about seven years. I think actually a little bit more than seven years. Yeah. The first album came out. We did the first album in uh, in 2010. And um, we were around for a little while before that, I think almost a year before that. Yeah, and every band, we were talking about this as we were setting up all the stuff, like every band has a life cycle, which for me, you know, unless you're like a professional, like making a living band, like a wage earning band, it, that's about five years. So you guys have outlasted the life cycle. So congratulations, if for no other reason. All right, man. Feels pretty good, actually. Yeah. Pat yourself on the back, Got nothing man. better to do. And there are other congratulations in order. We have, an, uh, are you a brand new father, first child? First time father, yes. Abe, congratulations, man. Thank you, thank you. That's well really, done, sir. well done. You know, I guess it's that's a no small feat. It's a pretty cool thing. Are no, you, are you sleeping yeah. at all? <laughs> Am I sleeping? Yes, actually. Uh, we got a, we got five hour stretch out of our boy that's not already bad for a newborn. Yeah, for wow. a newborn. It's record breaking. And congratulations. And another thing, I want to focus just a little bit on you right out of the gate here because such a big aspect of the style that you're doing is kind of that the upright bass, which is what right. we play. I like to call it the bull fiddle. What did you guys call it? The doghouse. The doghouse. Doghouse bass. I like bull fiddle, but same thing. It's an sure. upright bass. But like, did is that something you always did? The like the the slapping style that you play. It's it's kind of rockabilly esque, but you're kind of bending it a little bit genre. Right. Um, 
so I was classically trained in, in high school and whatnot, and there is a technique called Bartok Pizzicato. Bartok's the name of a composer, and Pizzicato, of course, is Correct. some Latin word that means plucking. something that I don't remember. <laughs> and uh, essentially, <laughs> plucking the strings. So there's a, there's a technique that classical players use, and of course, rockabilly musicians, and just to get some volume out of doghouse or upright or double basses or right. bull fiddles, you know, there's been this technique that was stolen from the classical world to use in the rock world or in the early budding rock world uh, in the 50s. And uh, it's that thunk-a-thunk-a sound that, you know, the Stray Cats used and all these right. other bands. And um, yeah, I was always attracted to it. And uh, because I was playing it but didn't know, you know, the the inference of it, the, you right. know, I didn't know rockabilly music the first actually right. time I, I was playing that style. But um, I actually heard Stumpwaller before I was in the band, right. uh, and they had a, a crude recording of a song that we always finish our shows up with, and I thought this would be perfect for this style, right. to, to bring the upright to it, excuse me, the, the song would be perfect for you know the style that I play it and uh, and the rockabilly kind of feel without having to be like a one four five rockabilly song. Right, and it's, it's very percussive. Mm-hmm. That's that's I guess that's part of it. It's 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 rhythmic as well. I mean, music is inherently rhythmic, right? But it adds another aspect of just pure percussion to a bass part, which kind of lends a different sound to a band. And it doesn't have to be rockabilly to do that in, but it does kind of it lists into that a little bit. And it's, it's I always love hearing people who are classically trained kind of blending, like moving out of their comfort zone or moving out of what they started with and doing different styles. I think that's fascinating to me. So now, for the, this is a question for the rest of you guys. If you, you joined the band then afterwards, if they were already playing, were, were you playing with an electric bass player before? We had, a, we had an electric bass player for one gig. Um, and it's funny because the way That's that Choppa. the band started, yeah, yeah. Choppa. Yeah. Uh, the way that the band started is I'm also a director, and our friend Choppa, who Deacon and Ace, uh, Jason Ace Gonzalez, were, uh, used to play in his band as well. Uh, I directed a uh, record release for him. There's a big multimedia thing with dancers and actors, and uh, it's a big show over at the L.A. Theater Center. And uh, Choppa said, uh, as payment, so I can't give you any money, as payment for this, we're going to record your album. And that's where, the, that's where the band started. That's how we got going. And actually, my wife was the first backup singer. Yeah. And then somebody knocked her up. And that put an end to that. <laughs> Still don't know to this day. about ten since then. Someone yeah. you know, I hope. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm kind of. I'm holding out hope. Keep, keep it in the family. Keep it in the family. Uh, we're talking with Stumpwaller, Los Angeles-based band, kind of alt countryish, kind of rockabillyish. Uh, some murder ballads mixed in there. Uh, rhythmic thumping, upright bass. Uh, pretty good Civil guitar War playing. Rock. Civil War, uh, Civil War, uh, <laughs> and us. and good drums too. I like mm-hmm. what you're doing on the drum steak. And you're doing a lot with. I don't say a lot with a little, but you have a simple set. You're going to set up and play a little later. But yeah. you're doing a lot with it. You got different uh, like hot rods, and I don't think all the big fat hot rods. I don't oh, think yeah, all those. Yeah, I went to thunder brooms, sticks, I think, and brushes and sticks. <laughs> so you guys are doing a lot, and I'm I'm proud of you guys for you know I've seen your live show, and it's kind of a high energy thing. So one of the things I'm I'm happy to hear you guys do is kind of you scaled it down just a little bit, like just enough. And I'm really I'm happy with the way these songs are sounding. So I can't Thank wait for you. people to hear that. But before we get into you guys playing some live songs, I want to play something from I think this is from your most recent record. This is the song Depraved, correct? That's right. Yeah. Tell me just a wee bit about this before we hear it. Oh man, uh, this song is just about smoking, drinking, cussing, and fighting. It's about raising hell. Uh, a lot of people that I grew up with back home, that's kind of what they do um, almost professionally. <laughs> and um, I just thought it'd be fun to write a song about it. It's a, it's, it's just a, a, a good time uh, kind of a. It's a good song to dance to, and it, it's a fun song about uh, about you know, raising hell. Yeah, 
Raising hell is an avocation. This That's raising right, of hell. Yeah. Uh, and I also want to talk. But when we come back from this, I want to talk a little bit about that hometown because okay. you and I we discovered as we were setting this oh, up, yeah. we've got some common roots here. So this is the band Stump Waller. This is the song "Depraved" from the record's Sinner Sermon on Independence Day. Joe Armstrong, or listening to Independence Day. That is the band Stumpwaller and their song Depraved. Gentlemen, I've got the entire band here. They're going to play some live songs in just a few minutes. Thanks for coming out, guys. Yeah. Wow, thank yeah. you. I appreciate it so very much. So tell me, Mike, this is there's a southern lilt in your voice. Oh, there is. And we stumbled across <laughs> the fact that we were were you you're from Alabama. I was raised in Alabama, though born uh, in Florida, but raised in Alabama. Okay, yeah. so it's a denominational difference. Sure. But you were raised in, as they say locally, and see if I get this right, Russellville. Russellville. You got it perfect, man. That's it, Russellville. Yeah. <laughs> I was born in what someone who was from the air is called Huntsville. Huntsville. Yeah, which is about right. 
for 50 miles, 45 miles it's or so? About, uh, depending on how you drive. Uh, it's about an hour. 40, an hour or a little bit a little less more. if you're me. Yeah, depending on how you do <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> depending if Johnny Law is out doing his thing. But there's such a rich musical tradition in that area because the thing Absolutely. about Russellville mm-hmm. is that it's very close to Muscle Shoals, mm-hmm. which is where Fame Studios, Rick Hall, and uh-huh. that whole thing, the Stones recorded there, yep. Bob Seger recorded there, Aretha Franklin recorded there, uh, countless. Etta James. Countless uh, musicians. Pickett. Wilson Pickett. Percy Sledge. Percy Sledge. Yeah. Countless musicians recorded there. So do you, was, was music a thing in your family growing up, being from an area like that? Uh, it was a little bit. My dad played bass, and um, back before he, you know, found the Lord, he was in a, you know, a headband, and uh, he's the one that taught me guitar when I first st- uh, started playing. And um, I've always, uh, because of him and because of growing up in a church the way that I did, I, um, I always gravitated to music and um, always wanted to play music. It's what I wanted to do from the beginning. And um, I guess I got lucky somewhere along the way, but um, when you say that, that's because you have an alternate career doing. I'm an I'm also an actor, yeah, a film and television actor mostly, and uh, that's what pays the bills. But uh, you know, the, I know the last thing the world wants is another actor with a band, so I don't <laughs> like you know I don't usually lead with that. But I feel like what we have is is it's legit. It's 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 not. Um, it's not some fake thing where some actor's trying to live a rock and roll dream. I mean, we, we really know what we're doing. Yeah, what's more annoying, musicians who try to act or actors who try to play music? I'm not, well, I don't know. For me, it's, it's musicians trying to act because yeah, they're taking jobs me. away from me. <laughs> you know, that's how I make my money. But what's more annoying than that to me is uh, when, uh, when um, uh, athletes try to act and end up making more money through SAG than I do. I think they give the actors. I mean, the musicians. I'll give a little bit more of a pass because at least they're in a creative field. Sure, exactly. They're creating something. Mm -hmm. It might be annoying when Keanu Reeves goes to play or Sting or goes to you know start a band or Sting acts or what what have you. But the actor or the 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 sports stars athletes. uh, It's just for the money. Yeah, it's someone they have a name, so someone goes to them and says, "Hey." You, <laughs> you know, we're going to put you in this commercial or put yeah. you in this or that. This you know, great movie called Shazam. Yeah, right. Yeah. We've been looking <laughs> for awesome. a seven that won an Oscar, genie, didn't it? That won an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was best turd of, of that year. Worst best movie. Man, Years. I might know somebody in that movie, so I can't say. Doesn't mean the movie's good. No, it doesn't. You're right. No, you're right. I know lots of people in lots of movies, and some of them are good, and some of them are not. Just like music, it's the same thing. Art is a funny thing, and I'm curious to know what you guys think about this this isn't really apropos of nothing but can a value judgment be put upon music in other words jason isbell got me thinking about this because he had the courage to come out and say not all music is good which i think is an interesting tack because i think a lot of people want to be nicey nice about it and be like oh all all art is valid all art and and a case can be made for that that if someone's expressing themselves Mm -hmm. it's valid in some way but there's also another way to look at that which is you know, and it's something we're experiencing now with music technology being what it is. Everybody and their brother can make a record. You can multi-track yeah. an album on their on your phone, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. The technology now you don't have the Neumann microphones, and you certainly don't have George Martin, but the technology that the Beatles had is available on your phone. It's in your yeah. pocket at all times now, or anybody who's got a smartphone, which is almost everybody. But do you think it's possible? Is it, which way is it for you guys? Well, you know, that's funny. This is Jason. Um, you know, it's interesting. 
and I've had this dis- discussion a lot with my creative friends, and we've talked about this. I, I think it has a lot to do with intent, because I-, I really do believe like there- there's an aspect of-, of expression. If it's a pure expression, if that person is simply trying to get something off their chest, they want to dance, they want to paint a picture, they want to act, they might not have skill, they might not have training, but but the expression in itself is pure. And it goes back to kind of this conversation we just had a minute ago. Once you start engaging a monetary aspect, or you start saying, hey, look, I'm a, you know... And I don't, I'm not trying to single out any one artist, but you think of these classic artists that have been around for years and have given us amazing records and are really good. They still need to have a career, and they might not have those songs left in them, so they're going to continue to put out an album of basically subpar material or very questionable production choices. I mean, I think the, you know, and again, to call out this ticket, you, you think of the 80s that as, as a time where it kind of went from this fairly organic thing in the 70s, and it really changed as a result of the monetary influence into the things like, you got to get a product out, and it's got to sound like this. And a lot of... Classic artists put out records that are almost unlistenable now. So it, it has a lot to do with that expression. It, it doesn't mean that expressions are necessarily bad in and of themselves, but I think that the intent behind the expression yeah. is, is really loads it up. Like I think of like kids' art. That, how can that be bad in and of itself? A kid is just trying to express himself. Right. But beyond that, then you start to think, it's like, but if they're trying to do it to impress somebody... Does that change it? And mm-hmm. it's well, hard. It's kind of, hard to add to get to an answer. But there's, exactly. That's yeah. why I like talking about yeah. it though, because there's there's a million shades of gray and a million gradients between those yeah. shades of gray. And to the sense that, like, uh, let's say for example, if I add the concept of commerce onto that same paradigm, right. right? Is commerce inherently good or inherently bad? And I would say neither, right? Because yeah. just because something sells a million copies doesn't mean it's good or bad. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes the cream rises to the top, and people buy how many millions of copies of Dark Side of the Moon. Because it's awesome, yeah. Right. You mentioned George Martin and the Beatles, correct? And, and like they were rare in their time, where they were not only the most popular, but they were the best at what they did. And correct. It's very, very rare. Right. And very then the rare. flip side of that coin is, you know, just because you sold a lot of records, and this is something I feel like we're seeing more and more now, mm-hmm. as the music industry has kind of co- collapsed upon itself somehow. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's yeah. that phone yeah. or the studio in your pocket. Yeah. Yeah, and and I guess that's the flip side of that very paradigm that I was talking about at the beginning is that. I'm not sure what I think is there. Are, I guess it's day by day for me. There are days where I think, you know, just because you can make art doesn't mean necessarily should, especially if you're trying to then take it into commerce because everybody yeah. can make something now. And just like there are poorly built cars, just like there is crappy carpeting, just like there is non-nutritious food, there are songs that are poorly written. Yeah, for sure. It's true, but this is Mike, by the way, and uh, there, there, there's always a test for me, even if it's uh, a song that I don't like or a genre that I don't like, and there's lots of those, um, and that is, can it move you? And I think, to me, that's the bottom line, and that's, uh, it doesn't matter what kind of art it is. Um, sometimes it doesn't move you, but it moves a lot of other people, and that is valid for them, and you know that's something we try to incorporate in our shows is uh, moving the people in the audience. It's uh, I, I like to say we, we want to have one honest moment with everybody in the audience before right. it's over with. And for some people, that's dancing. Some people, it's singing along. For some people, it may just be closing their eyes for a second and just feeling the music. I think I've always believed that music is the closest thing to salvation that we can experience Amen. Um, uh, on earth. <laughs> I, I really yeah. do believe that. And, and I think that um, if you can tap into that, it's something that's always existed before someone put strings on an instrument and figured out how to make harmonies. The harmonies were always there. And when we tap into it, it's magic. And um, you, we may not like all of it, but if it moves somebody, I think that's valid. Yeah. 
Good answer, by the way. Thank you. Uh, I also think that, I mean, I've got this concept. I'll say it all the time. I say it to my buddies all the time when we're bickering about this stuff at the pub, usually after about two or three pints, which is that there is music that I can appreciate as being good even though I don't like it. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Right? Yeah. There's all, there are genres that I just don't really, I don't relate to them. Yep. For yeah. whatever reason, I don't think I need to justify why I do or why I don't. Yeah. Some of it I could say. I, I tell you, like, I'm not into this because it's, you know, for whatever reason. But... I can see when something is good. At least I hope I can. Mm -hmm. You know, there are songs like, uh, I'm not a metal guy, but I can see that there's awesome metal, Mm -hmm. right? And I can appreciate the fact that, hey, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. I don't want to hear it. (laughs) 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 But that's awesome. I'm half kidding, but I'm half not kidding. Anyway, I'm talking with the band Stumpwaller, Los Angeles-based band, uh, four-piece band, kind of rockabilly-ish, but not quite. I like you know, torch I like, and twang. That was good. Torch and, torch and twang. twang. You know, it's kind of. We kinda... go up. Uh, we're not always a four piece, though. We can go all the way up to what, like seven, seven sometimes? Yeah. We yeah. have a horn player that comes with us sometimes. Uh, sometimes we have girls with us, one or two. So, uh, you know, we can, yeah. we, we can spread out a little bit. Yeah, that's a cool thing. It's a cool thing. So you check them out at stumpwaller.com. And I got to have you guys play a live song. You've dragged a lot of instruments out. Let's hear what these sound like. This first one is Coffin Maker's Son. Anybody want to tell me a little bit about this? Well, Coffin Maker's Son is uh, another song that centers around the Civil War, and one thing that's which is something I find very fascinating. And um, I, I had the the thought about um, someone who was born into uh, making a living off of death, and didn't choose that for themselves, but was born into it, and the guilt that might be associated with that. In this particular song, it has to do with uh, uh, that happening during wartime and these boxes that need to be made for these dead soldiers. Um, and the, the son of the coffin maker just um, at some point sort of sees through it and become, becomes disgusted with, uh, with, with making a living off yeah. of that. Is the coffin maker's son uh, a great-great-grandson of the name Halliburton? <laughs> I'm kind of curious. It's, it's, it's never thought about That's it that way, but it's kind of war profiteering in a way. Yeah, yeah in yeah. its own way, sure. Mm-hmm. Could possibly be. All right, this is uh, Stomp Waller, is the band. This is the song Coffin Maker Son, live version here on Independence Day. Coffin 
Joe Armstrong, I bring you Independence Day, Wednesdays, 7 p.m. Pacific time. This time of year is Pacific Daylight time, I do believe. <sighs> so happy to bring you great music to add to the family. This week is Stumpwaller. Hello, guys. Welcome. Hey, how are you, you doing? Howdy. Oh, I love a good howdy. <laughs> I've got a good howdy. So let's talk just a little bit about formative years, because this is something I discovered this. Mike, you and I share some lineage. We talked on this just a little bit before, but we are... Alabamians. Well, I'm actually right. an Alabamian by birth, right. even though I was raised somewhere else. Okay, You're an man. Alabama Alabamian by raisin. That's right. I think is what is it raisin or rearing? <laughs> Either one is fine. Either one is fine. Because there's a phrase I heard once upon that you raise corn and you rear children. Yeah, I, I can agree I think with is, that. I think yeah. is the phrase. But then again, you could say you don't get above your raisin, too. Yeah. You know, so uh, <laughs> yeah, it depends on uh, what the context is. You mean like terms. California raisins? Well, that's the, that's <laughs> the problem with that. So, the know. terms are malleable, either yeah. way. Uh, so, I mean, this this is for everybody here, but like, tell me what, I mean, what kind of music was playing in... Deacon, let's hear from you first. We haven't heard a whole lot of you. Uh, what kind of music was playing in your house growing up? Uh, mostly disco. I don't believe that <laughs> for a second. all disco. It's crazy. <laughs> Um, uh, mostly country stuff. I grew up in Texas, so okay. lots of Dolly Parton and a lot of Willie Nelson. Like old school country, mm. not like Garth Brooks country. Anything you drink whiskey to, really, is <laughs> yes. pretty much. You know, the best happening. whiskey yeah. drinkers I know could say that you could drink whiskey to a typewriter <laughs> or a train. <laughs> any of that will work, really. Vacuum cleaner, <laughs> any stuff. But so it was mostly country then. So then, when you were yeah. drumming, then did you start playing country music, or did you? Oh no, I played. I played heavy metal because you okay. know I was a kid and I hated. Can you play music. double bass? 
I used to. Like boogity, 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 boogity stuff. <laughs> We're trying to get him to do that here. He won't. Every he now won't and then, it. he'll throw a lick at us. Yeah. I feel I like there's carry a whole nother pedal, <laughs> yeah. another bass drum, and it just seems like a lot of work. There's. I feel like there's always somebody in every band who was like they're either into Kiss or they were into metal. It's usually the guitar player. Usually the bass player is into Rush. Usually. <laughs> The drummer might also be into it's Rush. Uh, <laughs> this is Jason, I, I think we all had a metal phase. I yeah, think everybody, all, everybody here, yeah. you, you know, you know, yeah. Even in Alabama, I didn't grow up listening to country music really. Um, kind of like Deacon, I, I, I sort of rejected that as a kid and, and yeah. listened to. The, the twist with me though was that we weren't allowed to play anything out loud in my house. It wasn't Christian music, so I was listening to Striper and. Blood Good and Baron Petra. Cross, Petra. <laughs> well, I could go on for hours listing Christian metal bands, but we ain't got the time for that. <laughs> Love it. Please don't. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, so, but then, in, now, Jason, in your house, yeah, what was what was playing? You know, what did your parents play? What kind of taste in music did they have? And it's interesting. You know, it's. A, I think a lot of my musical taste I got from my dad, who had a real polyglot of influences. He grew up in the fifties and sixties, and he was really, actually, really into. It was funny. He really liked a lot of black artists. So he was, you know, he had Fats Domino and Chuck Berry. And later on, you know, he had Sam Cooke and Sam and Dave and, you know, Otis Redding. And he had a lot of that stuff. And then as the 60s came along, he really got into like the horn band. So he was listening to Chicago and Blood, Sweat and Tears. Huge fan of West Coast jazz, Cal Jader, Dave Brubeck. He saw Brubeck when he was a student in Washington in the 1960s. Like he has all these formative experiences around the West Coast scene. He saw Dick Dale, 1963. And so, my dad had a lot of those influences, and then my mom was, I think, was a lot more into folk music. So I heard a lot of Simon and Garfunkel, Carol King, you know, uh, Kingston Trio, uh, a lot of, a lot of. So she was had more of a folky side. So I heard a little bit of both. And I remember my dad when I was a kid. He would, he had this great car. He had this old. He had an early Firebird, and he had a big Afro, and he would buy eight track tapes for for the car player, and we would listen to all kinds of stuff. I remember him throwing on. He's really into War, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Mm. So we would go and hang out like it was actually down here. We'd go to LA. We'd come in into LA to go to ball games or and football. localize this geographically. Yeah. Where is this? Oh yeah, I, I actually I'm, I'm originally from Santa Barbara and I lived for a while in Ventura County as a okay. kid. And so this is the '70s, and so we were driving to LA for entertainment down here. And I remember going to you know Watts and Compton with my dad and his friends before football games, and and it was this real deep sense of soul and it, it's funny it took me years to get back to the point where i really appreciated that music that's that was i guess that's the whole point is that i heard yeah. a lot of that stuff and it took me a really long time to get back to it i went through a whole metal phase and then started studying jazz got a degree in jazz studies and thought i was gonna be a jazz player yeah and here i end up in americana band and i could, was in could a reggae band too oh reggae band skipping that oh that's I true I, had a long I would love band. to be a bass player in a reggae band oh yeah i think that would be the most because it's kind of like melodic and it's like mm. reggae bass is like star, 10 sure. miles deep and 10 miles wide. Yeah. Yeah. And you just yeah. sit back there by the, yeah. the by the drum riser and you just do your thing. You know, yeah. get so some true. big old Elton John sunglasses and you just <laughs> sit back there and do your thing. Now tell me this. I want you guys to play another live song in just a minute. Then I want to talk about another aspect of your live show when, when after this song. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have one more question before we get there. Like, since you guys all had a metal face, like how did your parents, parents generally speaking, are not super keen on metal. Like, well, how, what was the reaction in your households like when you brought home the metal music? Well, like, this is Mike. But like I said, we, we weren't allowed to play anything out loud that wasn't Christian music for uh, uh, most of my childhood when I lived with my dad. So I think, for one thing, he was just happy that it was Christian music. I mean, that made him feel good. But he didn't know what I was listening to in my headphones. So, um, 
my dad was also give him credit. He was a big fan of Jimi Hendrix. He saw Jimi Hendrix like yeah. saw all those guys when he was a kid. Was really into that stuff. And even though he changed his life, he I knew he always loved that music, and it was something that sort of secretly I used to connect with him. Yeah, a little bit. Because it's just a little bit of paint thinner on the tape because cassette tapes is what it was back in the day at least yeah, it well, wasn't I, my generation I, had, I, had a, I, I hit the very end of the fort of the 8 track uh, myself but yeah it was mostly cassette tapes because then yeah. you just take a little paint thinner and what once was a I don't know what's really what's really like uh, Seeking um, to knows a Metallica kill them all yeah, yeah like early early, early Metallica suddenly rash. becomes Striper's new release <laughs> <laughs> Striper is and this, there you go. this has to be the most time Striper has ever been mentioned on the show I right? can guarantee you that is most certainly the case how about you guys we, we just a real quick like, how, like when you brought home metal like well my dad I remember my dad had he had Hendrix and he also had the first Sabbath record and so it's like okay. he kind of he kind of knew what heavy yeah. rock was it's on the continuum and it was just on the continuum so i started discovering like a lot of a lot of bands from there, a lot of iron maiden deacon know, how about you man yeah mm, they had no reaction to anything i listened to whatsoever <laughs> they're just like oh yes he's listening to that now and just sort of moved on about the day <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know really... the funny thing is that's probably the wisest parental reaction <laughs> to anything like that because if it, if it gets a rise out of them eventually you know yeah. there was no there was not a whole lot of rebelling yeah. against it really if it gets a rise out of your parents yeah like and you and as a kid as you see you get a rise out of you're just gonna keep doing it i remember i bought the guns i waited for the guns Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction album. I was waiting at the record store for the gates to open, and I brought it home. It's all skulls on the front. <laughs> and, you know, uh, and, you know, the songs are just, like, full of cuss words and just uh, the lyrics. And I was, you know, I was jamming it on my tape player or something. And my dad was like, what is that? It's like, Guns N' Roses. He was like, oh, right. okay. <laughs> so, I'll be yeah. in the garage if your mother needs <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So about another song here. This and but when we come back from this, I want to talk about this aspect of your perf- the show that ties into your your raisin yeah. or your rearing. Talking about you, Mike here. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's kind of a front man thing, uh, and I want to give it away too much because it's kind of fun to talk about and go into this. Uh, we've kind of alluded to it a little bit, but uh, but first, this Bible gun, mm-hmm. and it also has a, a you, you distinctly said it was a forward slash, which then I had to figure out, is that the one that <laughs> angles to the left or the right on top? Because I can never tell. I'm bad at that. But You've seriously, learned something. I'm glad I taught I've you something. I've learned something today. We've all learned something here today. So. so tell me about this Bible gun. This is uh, obviously another wedding song. <laughs> no. Um, you know, this is a song that actually, I don't like to write songs about myself as such, where I'm trying to pour out exactly what's going on in my life. Um, I've just found that usually for me personally, a lot of people do it, but for me, um, it, it just turns out terrible. Either that or I can't get through it because it's uh, because I feel too much of an obligation to stay absolutely truthful. And when you're writing, there reaches a point where you make decisions based on what seems right artistically, which may not be absolutely truthful all the time. And um, this is really a song that's sort of um, very much about me in the way that I the way that I grew up with the two sides of my life. Um, one was a church, and one was sort of whatever the opposite of that is. And I'm very grateful for both, and I've kind of found my own way through that, which isn't necessarily either. Right, a little bit of both. And um, I'd say that's probably 
decent way to describe it. It's the Saturday night and Sunday morning thing. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. And it also ties in Patterson Hood from mm-hmm. Drive by Truckers called right. it's kinda of loosely he's talking about something else, but it's kind of related. It's the duality of the Southern thing. Absolutely. Yeah, and that and that's a great thing. That's a great way to put it and, and that's something that I grew up with and I think I still carry with me. And I'm kinda of proud yeah. of that actually. They, you know, kinda of like Johnny Cash, the line about him being a walking contradiction. I think there are a yeah. lot of us that come out of there. Yeah. That, that carry that with us. Well, it's nice when people are forward about those contradictions because I think the people who deny them are the people who get, the, uh, get themselves in trouble. Right. We, be it with religion, be it with drugs, be it with violence, be it with whatever in their life. Like trying to, I mean, it's that balance. Yeah. You know, I mean, you don't have to let either one, you don't have to let your destructive side completely win all the time, but you have to honor it mm-hmm. in some weird way. Find a way to, like, I, like a, I call it the bleeder valve. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got a bleeder sure. valve. Like some, for oh, some people, the bleeder valve is a, a, a bowl full of pot. Some people, it's scotch. Some people, it's jogging. Some people, well, who knows what it is. And I'm glad that we all have music to do these kinds of things. It's a really great way to get all these things out. So, yeah. Stumpwaller, the song, Bible. We say Bible slash gun? What would you Bible say? Bible gun. We just call it Bible, Bible gun. Bible gun. Stumpwaller yeah. on Independence Day. <laughs>
My name is Joe Armstrong. Thanks for listening to Independence Day. This week's guest is Stump Waller. S-T-U-M-P-W-A-L-L-E-R. What is a Stump Waller? I hate when I ask that question. We asked him that too. I was I hate, for that one. To I hate asking this question because it's. I try never to ask this question, but I, I, I've been thinking about it all week since I booked you guys. And I'm like trying to think, is it like is it like your uncle's nickname? Is it like the name of an old motorcycle? You know, it could be all of those things. If you want to get down to sort of the most literal of it, it, it it's a... Uh, it can be a it's a slow, southern slang term for any sort of rancid liquid. Okay. Uh, stump water, something that's yeah, yeah. Uh, something that take, leaves a bad taste in your mouth. You can use it uh, uh, creatively however you want. As far as the way that it, it can also be a term used for uh, moonshine as mm-hmm. well. And um, for this band, it also uh, has connotations about getting on a stump um, like a preacher man and. Um, and blowing out a bunch of water, I guess. Yeah. Which, <laughs> the, the rantings of a crazed preacher, I guess. Yeah, which brings me to my next concept that I want to uh, talk to you guys about. Because in your live show, you do, for lack of a better word, some kind of like rock and roll proselytizing. Yeah. Now, I've never witnessed this live. We didn't, we're didn't. we not doing it here in my, my dining room. I'm not sure we could handle the fire and brimstone <laughs> here in the dining room. I mean, we've got glass around. We've got lights and expensive microphones. We don't want to burn the place no, down. No. So tell me, give me the experience. I, as a, as a newbie, I go to a Stumpwaller show. Like, mm-hmm. What is this experience like? Seeing you as the front man in front of this band. Is the band vamp? And then you do your thing. Like, Set the yeah. scene. Well, I, I mean, I, I don't want to call it a... a uh, I don't know what you'd call it, a, 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 a dual personality, but um, I, I like to think that it is me, um, and it comes from where I where I come from. Uh, I grew up in the South, like we said. I, I grew up uh, with a strong church background, um, and um, I do believe that there is salvation in music. It's something I believe very strongly, and I've always been fascinated by the artistic... Um, uh, aspects of preachers, of uh, the the sort of fire and brimstone preacher. We had a guy when I was a kid named Brother James Duke, a redheaded guy who would get up there and start hollering until his whole face was red. And and I got to say, just the sheer um, uh, power of it and the performance of it, you know, I, I think was um, oh, at least 80% of what was going on in that church. And um, I I always thought it was fascinating, would be fascinating for me since it was something that I, that I was so familiar with to to explore the artistic side of that. But I didn't want to preach about the things that I grew up hearing about necessarily. Um, I wanted to preach about what I felt uh, salvation was, which, as, as we've said, is music. So um, I think I mentioned this earlier. I, I, I like to create a, an honest moment with everybody in, in, the, in, in the congregation, as I call them. And um, 
at the end, we like to have a moment where everyone is in, is together, and it, it kind of comes through this kind of crazy preacher man, uh, rock and roll preacher man thing. And yeah, the band vamps, and I just kind of go off and yeah. say whatever I feel like saying, and they've gotten pretty good at, at following me, and it's uh, it, it turns into usually a pretty uh, a pretty cool experience. Now in L.A., it's it's always a hard sell. Correct. To get people to do anything you want them to do in L.A., even to come to the dang show. There Sorry. are some jaded bastards in oh, this yeah. town. Oh, boy. And they like to yeah. sit in the back with their hands folded going, show me something. And and even those people, if they can just for a minute, to me, I feel like I've made, like we have done our thing. If, if for one minute they just let go, that's what I want them to do. And that's kind of what I'm preaching about is just let go. Lay your burdens down at the door. Come in. Feel something. The burden's going to be there when it's time to leave. It ain't going nowhere. We all know that. And um, we can come into this sanctuary together and feel something amazing um, together as a group before we leave. And, and that's what we really try to do every day, and I think every show. And I think that's where the preacher uh, man aspect comes from. It's touching in the catharsis of live performance. And I was going to say the catharsis of rock and roll, but it's actually deeper than that. Like you get this in classical music, you get this in different styles of music in different ways. Yeah. But it's kind of specifically in that kind of Memphis Muscle Shoals R&B Absolutely. kind of tent revival sort mm-hmm. of thing. And different artists have, you know, kind of milk that in a different kind of way and in, in more or less genuine ways. Mm-hmm. Bruce Springsteen does it. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah. And he does it in a great way and he's from New Jersey. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not sure. I mean, they must have tent oh, yeah. revivals in New Jersey, but he does a very he does a version of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh St. Paul and the Broken Bones mm-hmm. does something kind of like that. So it's kind of cool to see it. Now, so now here's a question. This is a mechanical question. Like, is there a, like a, do you have to get into a headspace or a character or like how do you like at the beginning of the show? Like, do you do like like pray and then do six shots of moonshine? <laughs> well, or like how do you get into the the mental emotional space? Well, there to do is this? a lot of drinking that happens. I'll tell you that. But but for me, when the music when the music starts happening, generally. You know, sometimes you show up and you and who knows what's going to happen and who knows how you're feeling. But generally, when the music starts happening, um, that's when it happens for me. And um, you know, it, it, there are times where you have to push it a little bit until you fake it till you make it. You know, um, I don't think I, I I personally don't think we've ever ended a show where we haven't gotten there. But there's always moments where you have to kind of find it, and that has a lot to do with the dynamic of the crowd, um, sort of as you're saying, that live aspect of it. Um, what they're going to give you informs you of what you're, what you're dealing with and how you're going to make this thing work throughout, and especially at the end, because at the end is where it really kind of all, right. all blows up. And for Jason Deacon, like as the band following this, like how, how did he sell you on this concept? Was this something that you just kind of took to right away? In terms of this, because this is not, I don't want to say normal, because what's normal really, <laughs> right, right? right? But this is something you just don't see. It's not traditional for like the Los Angeles music scene. It's a very diverse scene. There's a lot of different things going on. But what you don't see a ton of is like tent revival style preaching, right? Yeah. Like, so how did he, uh, he you know, sell you guys on He this? offered us a, a whole lot of whiskey. <laughs> yeah, that, that okay. I made him tacos. I think that was tacos. The spirit is moving you. Pretty much in, the spirit was moved, yes. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, I kind of, from what I remember, is was that that was the concept at the start. The okay. Whole, the whole idea was just like, look, we're gonna we're gonna bring this forward because I think one of our the the show ending number was one of our was one of our earliest songs. Yeah. And 
You know, it's funny. You get behind it because it's actually, it's really, really fun. And not being from the South myself, being from Southern California, the whole fire and brimstone, the cultural aspect of that is, all, is very appealing to me because as you mentioned all these great acts, there is something very primal in American music that is really related to that church experience. It's a huge aspect of what rock right. and roll is. And so to be to participate in it is a lot of fun. And, and at least for me personally, it's, it's the catharsis aspect is you know you're there if you just kind of can't remember it. You yeah. just are playing and your muscles and you're just in your fr- your first mind and you're just you're just doing it and the whole show goes by and you get to the end and there's this great peak and everybody's dancing and it's like it, it really works. It's definitely a spiritual aspect, you know. It's and so it wasn't a hard sell, I guess, to your question. Okay. It wasn't a hard sell because of that. How hard is it to get audiences into this? And as an auxiliary question, I mean, has there ever been a time when you play a show where they just weren't having it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I don't know if we should name some of the venues that, you know, in case we ever do want to play again. But like we said, LA is a hard sell, and um, there are, there are some venues um, that we've played where it's just impossible. There there's there's one place in particular where the band is very separated from the audience uh, that we used to play a lot in the early days. And um, and that was a very hard sell because they were very far away from us, and um, it, it, and there was actually a couple of times where I sort of thought, oh my gosh, I don't know if this is going to happen or not, um, because I'm very, I, I really like to connect, and it's very hard to connect to somebody who's fifty yards away from you, <laughs> right. you know. But um, there's definitely been times. One of our first gigs uh, uh, as well. I don't think ever. I think we did that as a three piece. We were playing a, um, a mo- they were showing a, an outdoor movie of uh, the Johnny Cash movie, um, mm-hmm. uh, Walk the Line, and um, they ended up putting the band <laughs> in this area. There was like five thousand people there to watch the movie, and we were in the only place in this park where no one was there. <laughs> you know, and so it's hard to get to that when you're like, "Where is my congregation? I can't see anybody here." You yeah. Know? But then again, there are other places where it's, uh, I will throw this name out there. We love to play the cinema bar. It's a yeah. tiny little place, but man, the, the crowd there really appreciates the music, yeah. and everyone uh, really has a good time there. We, we don't feel like we're selling, uh, you know, um, so. And there's tacos. And there's tacos right around, right the, corner, around right the corner. Tito's Tacos Tito's is right around the corner, tacos. as well as that other little one right in the corner well, that's there. That's the one we hit, because Tito's is closed by the I time we get done yeah. with the show. Mm-hmm. He goes to Tito's because he shows up. You <laughs> got Let me tell you, you got to get up real early to beat Deacon to a gig. Let me tell you. <laughs> and the times so that I have beat so him to true. a gig... He showed up even earlier the next time. So <laughs> he was the first one here today. I'll say he always yeah. is. Now tell me this: one more thing, and then I want to hear another live song out of you guys. I'm looking forward to that as well. Is I mean, what you know, when the band isn't connecting or the the audience like isn't being receptive, like do you have techniques that you use that you are conscious of? That you know that you can lean on. Be like, okay, is this going to work? I mean, I, do you are you shouting at them? Or are you because oh, sometimes man, yeah. sometimes you have to be kind of abusive to get them to come to True. you, or yeah. like, how do you do it? Well, I have abused. This is Mike again. I have abused hipsters a few times. I have to admit, um, <laughs> if you are a hipster, then God love you. I mean, I'm nothing against you, but uh, you come to I'm our just, show and stand in the back, though, we're going to get kind of angry. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely have abused uh, banjo players a lot, but uh, and, you know, I, I'll tell charged. you what. Honest to God, there was a time where there was a song that we we don't play much anymore, but it's very sort of uh, call and response, 
And this the crowd wasn't happening. And I just turned around and think there's like four verses. And in the second verse, I was just like, I just quit. You know, I was just like, there's no point in doing this <laughs> anymore, man. Yeah. Let's find a cover and uh, play yeah. something to get these people dancing. Because Raw hide and A. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> you know what, man? It's a good and sometimes, <laughs> look, uh, I, I'm always very judgmental of my shows. Deacon taught me something a long time ago. He has a saying, and it says, and he, he likes to say, if there's people dancing, you ain't done a damn thing wrong. And it, yeah. sometimes stop that one thing that you really wanted to do and play a Johnny Cash song. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that might get the church jumping, you know? Entertainment to me is fascinating because entertainment is a huge term. It can mean a lot of different things. Entertainment can be sorrow. I mean, I would go so far as to say my favorite entertainment makes me sad oh, or yeah. makes me feel happy because it's sad. You know, there's mm. been those studies that show that sad music makes people happy, that kind of thing. Or mm -hmm. tragic movies yeah. that have a sad ending or, or characters that aren't, this is a big thing now in modern TV, the Emmys weren't that terribly long ago, is uh, characters that are flawed. Yeah. Right. You know, it seems like you know, once upon a time in American art, like you know, the fathers were all knowing and they were all they were strong and solid mm -hmm. and stiff upper lip and like dad always knew best, right? Right. Yeah. But then the characters when Tony Soprano came around and Walter White came around yeah. and Don Draper came around and people, you don't want to just love to hate them because it's not that simple, yeah. right? They're both good and bad at the same time, which is kind of that duality of human existence. And if I may back up out of that just a little bit to what I was talking about before, which is this entertainment concept, is that for some people, entertainment is a sad thing, but they still pay for it, and it's yeah. still entertaining. Yeah. For some people, entertainment is getting their anger out, and that's... But it's still entertainment. For some people, entertainment is the cure. Where they're mopey Mope and they're up, standing yeah. around. They're like, I love Sunvolt. I love Jay Farrar. A lot of people from the Uncle Tupelo thing, they prefer the Wilco side of it. And that's awesome. Jay Farrar is one mopey dude. I love him. <laughs> and I've met him and I love his music. But, yeah. you know, if you get a hey to the audience at the show, it's like, oh, he's talking to us. Yeah. Right? But entertainment can be all these different things. And I find it fascinating how every single band and every single artist approaches it from a different place and wants to take the uh, art, uh, audience, their listeners, to a different place. You want to connect with them through this persona, through this uh, live performance type of thing. And I think it's, and I, and I give you credit for doing it in Los Angeles because it's hard, man. No matter what kind of music you play in Los Angeles, it's hard. It's hard to get people out because one reason is everybody's a performer here. Yeah. And the other reason is everyone, it's just everything's 900 miles away from everything else. <laughs> anyway, so I'm talking with Stump Waller. Uh, they're going to play another live song for us. Tell me what this one is. It's a ballad. Tell me a little bit about this. Uh, it's called The Ballad of William Hardy, and uh, it's another uh, Civil War song. I'm obviously <laughs> <laughs> very uh, fascinated with Civil War. Um, the concept for this song was really, there, there's a line in there that says, I'm going to the crossroads. Um, dressed in ash and painted black, I'm shouting out my name just to see who answers back. And uh, one thing that was fascinated, fascinating to me was that with the Southern blues culture was this idea of selling your soul to the devil. And I always was fascinated about what if you went down the crossroads and just to see what happened, um, threw your name out there. And that's sort of the that's sort of the basis of uh, of what got this song going. It's really about much more than that. It's about um, a, a man who had his uh, his higher, his entire life taken away from him by General Sherman, who came through the South in the Civil War and sort of broke away from the norms of warfare and just burnt everything. Sherman's March children, to the Sea. Exactly. And uh, just scorched everything uh, and everybody in his way. And so this is a guy that, you know, made a deal with the devil that 
if um, the devil gave him a gun and said, if you have this gun, no one can kill you, go get Sherman. And he finds Sherman, and I don't want to give away the ending, but... All right. So available for uh, kids' birthday parties, <laughs> barbecues, bar mitzvahs, weddings, receptions. Stump Waller, the song is The Ballad of William Hardy on Independence Day. Surely never die. Hand me and I 
Carolina mud Turned my back on Sherman Lord, he shot me in cold blood I drew my fine breath from burning ground on which I fell My name is William Hardy and I see you down in hell Once again, Stumpwaller on Independence Day. That is the ballad of William Hardy. So happy to hear that. Great, great music. Oh, thank you. I mean, you've got this this positively. Uh, you're, you're obsessed with the Civil War. You realize that, right? Has <laughs> your has your has uh, your wife talked to you about this before? Oh, I mean, she must know. You know, I got to tell you, the thing about the Civil War that's fascinating to me is not what side it was, what the, even what the war was about. It was it's the human aspects of it. There are a lot of amazing stories about the humans. And what they went through uh, through that war, and that's one thing that's very—it's uh, always been fascinating to me. Not so much the politics of it, which doesn't uh, interest me to sing about for sure, um, but the lives of these people who are just people and and knew whatever they knew, and you know may have had uh, their entire lives changed. Or may, there's another song that we have—we we're not performing here tonight—that's that that has to do with um, you know. People, uh, different factions of the Civil War meeting up in, um, um, can I say this, houses of ill repute, you know. Um, so uh, those kind of those kind of uh, stories are what fascinates me about it. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, with it, you don't get this as much in California because California was barely, when does California ratified as a state or when did it be, join the it's union? 49, 1850. So it wasn't too long before the Civil War that California yeah. even became That's a state, correct. right? Yeah. It was kind of newly minted state. So out here, it's a very different cultural. Uh, the, our lineage is very different here in mm-hmm. California. Yeah. The Mexicans coming up from there, Chinese coming over from from over the Pacific, uh, you know, not so much French coming down from the north. That's more of an upper Midwest, you know, kind of thing. I just watched The Revenant again recently, oh, so yeah, I was thinking yeah. about that. I love that movie so terribly much. Um, but this southern thing that we kind of touched on before that kind of touches on your your Civil War obsession. Is um, and I say that with love. I say that with love. Um, but no, I have southern roots too. But in our culture, especially if you're from the south, people tend to kind of forget like that was fought on your land mostly. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't fought in the north. It was fought in the south. So places that got burned were burned in the south. People's families were torn apart, especially people who were border clans. Yeah. Or, or, you know, that, that in my lineage, the Armstrong clan was a border clan between England and Scotland. So the people in oh, Kentucky, yeah. the people in southern Ohio, the people Virginia. Virginia, people who had you know kind of families that might have people. You know, somebody's brother moved sixty miles to the south, and their other brother moved sixty miles to the north. And next thing you know, they're taking up arms against each other, and it's something that. We don't hear as much out in the, in the West Coast or talk about as much in the West Coast, but it's a big deal for Southerners. Yeah. Even to this day, that whole South will rise again business is a big deal to those people. The whole rebel thing. Here's a curious thing. This might be a hot topic, but where do you stand on the whole Confederate flag? Well, I am, you, you know, this, uh, 
I got to tell you, that's, that is a hot topic, and it's changed for me. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I grew up, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty liberal guy, and I grew up, um, you know, vehemently against what most people think the Civil War was about. Um, but I always felt like no one can tell me what that flag means to me. That flag represents home to me. It always did. Heritage, not hate, is what you hear from that's, a lot of those. That's folks. what I believed growing up. And in the last few years, I reached a point where I where I kind of had to say, you know what, um, you got to let that go um, because I see where it hurts other people. I see yeah. where the flag has 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 really um, hurt hurt people today now not right back then and so that separation which i felt like i could do is all is is well fine and good but um in today's climate um uh you know we've we've had a lot of these feelings been stirred up again in the last few years with in the last in this election cycle i would say too yeah um and so i felt like you you reach a point where you just say this is not worth standing up for anymore I think, and it's interesting to hear you say that, you know, coming from someone, I would call you more Southern than I am, even though we do share Southern lineage, Mm -hmm. is Tom Petty had a similar, like, epiphany about it. Because, you know, the the Rebel, what was the record with the Rebel, the song Rebels on it? Uh, Oh, man. Got me. Hey, 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 I was born. Southern accents. Southern, Southern accents. It's the record. Song. And there's rebel flags all over that kind of yeah. thing. Because he grew up in Northern Florida, which is just as Southern as anywhere else. And that was just an identity thing. But he came to the realization, the same one that a lot of people have, and it sounds like you did too, which is that this actually, this is what it means to you. And it's just your thing. It was just normal, right? It didn't mean hate or anything like that. Exactly. But you come to a point in your life where you realize this does mean that to other people. Exactly. And it's that sense of empathy that makes you change the way you view that kind of thing. And that's, I mean, I wasn't like Mr. Rebel Flag guy, but my father, you know, he was all about it. Yeah. You know, he no, doesn't, I, I he doesn't hang there. people and he would never like light a torch <laughs> in anyone's yard. <laughs> Thank God. But, Thank but he's very Southern in that regard. It's a Southern pride thing and to him it was a heritage thing yeah. and it's, it's just different. And when know? I see people that I know and love uh, being hurt by it, right? That's that makes it a lot easier, and uh, and that's sort of one of the things that pushed me over, uh, made me reach that epiphany. Yeah, like you said. So uh, it's just a little light talk in here, a little civil <laughs> yeah, war talk. Yeah, man. Oh my god, <laughs> little Confederate flag. You, you weren't you weren't prepared for, for that, part, were you? Yeah. No, man. Uh-huh. All right, let's talk about something just a little different. Then we'll get to one more tune before I kick you guys out the door. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit. You guys, you've mentioned several times that you're working on a new record, and <laughs> why? Yeah. You keep saying it's a long time coming. Is there a specific reason for this you know um it, yeah this is mike again um i'm dominating the mic here but uh I, you know it reminds me of, there's a movie called connected in new york which uh, was a brilliant movie that phil hoffman was i've in. seen it yeah and um the, it's about a director who's trying to make his life's work and he never ends up doing it because his life keeps changing and um, I, I feel like there's a little bit of that in us. We we started out uh, in the early days. We got put into this uh, psychobilly um, genre, and we're playing with the psychobilly bands, which is great. We still do play that kind of music, but um, uh, that didn't represent everything. And and I I started writing different kind of songs, and we didn't know what to do with them really. And I think it's taken a few years for the full sound to kind of flesh out, which I feel like we're all very comfortable with now. Um, but, um, I, I think, uh, you know, the change and the finding ourselves is what's sort of been happening over the last few years. And, um, this song, now it's about, 
I'm trying to figure out, do I put out a double album? Because we got like 30 songs now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Is it a double album? Do I put out like three EPs? Um, and um, uh, hopefully we get it out by the end of the year. Uh, so when you say 30 songs, do you have 30 songs recorded? Re- mostly recorded. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's ambitious. Um, not all, not all necessarily mastered yet. No, we right. wait till the end of that. And and some of them are missing things here and there. You know, it's not yeah. all done. But uh, generally, when I write a song that I know is going to be something we're going to use, I try to get in the studio. As soon as we fleshed it out, I try okay. to get in the studio and record. Do you guys have access to a studio like in your band family somewhere, or is there a studio you like to use that you get a good rate on, or do you just like? Fl- both shell out the money or how do you do I it? have a studio um in my in my house in my garage converted garage studio and I'm limited into in terms of what I can do there and what I what I have a knowledge of doing I'm a decent mixer but I'm not the best engineer um but we just found out that a guy down the street from us has a great studio yeah and we've started doing uh Deacon was there uh, uh oh just um recently anyway uh, and we're going to start doing more drums and stuff there because he's got a fantastic studio, and he gives us a absolutely ridiculous rate for being a neighbor. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, I like to – I'm kind of a control freak, so it's hard for me to turn it over to a producer, and maybe I need to do that. I don't know, but it, I, I like to kind of, you know, go OCD on the music, on it myself and um, spend hours upon hours and risk divorce. And ruining my family. Yeah, that's just kind of the way I'm built. So what will it be that makes you decide that it's time? Do you know? Uh, Can you say? Or will it be will it be a situation where you wake up in the middle of the night in a potato sack with the other three members of the band beating you with soap and socks like they do in the military? Like are they gonna get to the point where it's like, Okay, you we've had enough of your civil war nonsense, we time to release the record. It's a it's a uh, put down the history channel and step away. You've read that Shelby Foot book a million times. You know, man, it's a little bit of both. I, I honestly think that now's the time, and uh, I think we've got. I think I know what the album is now. It's just a matter of now finishing it up, which in and of itself, with the the sort of uh, the lives that we all have. I mean, we're all working people. We, you know, I have the other career in uh, film and television. Um, you know, Deacon tours with other bands. Uh, Jason does as well. Uh, Jason lives in Santa Barbara and has another job. So does our bass player. Right. Um, and so a lot of it now is just about making it happen and getting the recordings down and then being okay with them too. It, it, any band knows that you got a song that you think is great and sometimes you go and record it and you go, oh man, that just we didn't get it. Yeah. And um, there are a couple that we're probably going to have to go back and redo. They're they're hearing this right now for the first time. So I'm like, what are you talking what? about, man? Um, you but bastard. I think it's, I really do think it's close. I, do, I think I know how to do it now. And, um, and uh, I think we fleshed out, we fleshed it out enough that we know what, yeah. we know what it is. It's a mystical, mythical thing, this making of albums. And it's yeah. also archaic now because I feel like the music business cycles into periods between when albums are important and yeah, albums and are not important, not important and mm-hmm. singles are important. And now, you know, I mean, I myself kind of vacillate between those two concepts. Like, I'm, I'm locked into I want to make an album because I want to give, if I'm going to charge 15 bucks from somebody, if anyone will pay, yeah. I'm going to give them a product that's worthy of 15 bucks. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't want a dollar for a song. I'd rather, like, this is an artistic statement, yeah. right? This is this chapter of my life. This right. is how I view the world now, right? Yeah. And it's this eight or 10 or 15 songs or whatever it is. Like, and I, 
I don't know, man. It's an interesting thing. And I, I'm, I'm, in some ways, I'm envious of that because I've got a bunch of songs percolating and I'm getting close to finishing a bunch of tunes and like trying to piece in players and, yeah. and where are we going to record this and how are we going to do it? It's a very exciting thing. It's like yeah, fun yeah. to look forward to that. But I'm also, it's also kind of like a math test. Where it's like it's a lot of work, yeah, and I know that I know it's a lot of work, and there's things that there's variables I don't understand, like the X and the Y and all that, the A and the B, and I don't know, you know. So I'm not even sure it's base ten math, but I still got to do it, you know. So you guys are in an enviable position. You've got some songs ready to go, uh, and I look forward to hearing that record. Uh, let me know when it does come out, because we'll, we'll have you guys back on. We'll do a little we'll do a little catch up with you and let you know. So one more song though, uh, before you guys are done, what is this last one called? Oh, this is uh, the Hills of Kentucky. It's another uh, very um, don't say Civil War. <laughs> it's this one is not about the Civil War. But I, I'm I kidding. Would say... I want you to know I'm kidding. I'm totally fine with your Civil War obsession. I promise. I swear. It, it, uh, this this one's is about the apartheid. This one is not necessarily any happier than that subject matter. But you know, this one is something I wrote. Uh, you know, the average uh, uh, age of the, the, the sort of the old Kentucky coal miners was 40 years old. And when I found that out, it was uh, astonishing. The average to me. age that they the, 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 their lifespan, their, their lifespan, their not lifespan. their average age, yeah, not their, their average, their average age lifespan, at sorry. time of death. Exactly, forty was forty years old. And when you when you start to to study um, uh, what those old coal mines were like, it, it was crazy. They had kids out there at eight years old uh, working. They called them breaker boys, breaking rocks, and they would and they would spend. Um, you know, eight, ten hours a day, five days a week, bent over, busting these big rocks. And they get, once they were there a couple years, they couldn't walk straight. They couldn't even stand up. Um, their, their lives, their bodies were ruined by the time they were 10 years old. It was a very harsh reality. Um, and, and a lot of people know about the, the, the company store uh, idea where, you know, you didn't get paid in money, you got paid in script. And um, you always ended up owing. You never, you didn't own your house. You didn't own anything you had. The, 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 the mine, the company owned everything. It's the capitalist version of indentured servitude. Absolutely. It's absolutely what it is. And, and for me, it came from the idea of the one miner that lived to be really old. And he's sitting up on that hill and everybody he knows is dead. And um, he's lit, and now he doesn't have anything. The mine's closed down. The company store is closed down. And all he can do is just sit in this crooked house and think about uh, his life and um, uh, days gone by. All right. So another feel-good song. This is Stumpwaller. <laughs> this is the Hills of Kentucky. Stumpwaller on Independence Day. My mama was bold Jackets are dusty And the shoes are old You can't see the tears For the black on our face But we're blessed with great treasure These hills and God's grace well, I can't see much further than my own back porch. Biscuits roll south down this crooked old floor. Daddy sat here with the sun on his cheeks. Now the sky and my eyes and the roof, they all leave. 
them breakers when I was just ten. I never walked street as I did then again. My brothers were there both ahead and behind, and all five died in that dark, dusty mine. In the hills of Kentucky, where my mama was born, jackets are dusty, shoes are Gentlemen, and once again, as I said before, I use that term loosely. Excellent music. Thank you so much for <laughs> being you. on the Thanks show. Thank you for taking Thank the time. Uh, coming out here, it's not an easy thing to get people to, to get out and play. There's a million musicians in this town, but there's also a million gigs, a million things to do. And now we're competing with the internet, too. Oh, yeah. You know? 
I always tell the story. I was playing a gig one time in Chicago, and uh, there was people kept looking. Uh, you know, during the show, they were like looking at me, making these really crazy faces. You know, like I was like, "What's going on? Am I playing a weird song? Am I do I have like a giant zit on my face or something?" No, <laughs> and I didn't notice, but there was a TV above my head, and they were showing Jaws. <laughs> so people be like, oh, oh, oh. like wincing and stuff. So you know, there's a lot of competition. So I yeah. like I tell people all the time, go see live music, support live music, especially Absolutely. the band Stumpwaller. Buy their records. You can go to stumpwaller.com. S T U M P W A L L E R. Did I get that right? Yeah, I yeah. think you did. Also yeah. well on done. Twitter as that, Facebook as that, Reverb Nation as that. And so Mike, Jason, Abe, Deacon, thank you guys so very much for coming out. I appreciate it so very much. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Thank you. Appreciate it. So thank you to Stumpwaller. Also to the Independence Day staff. Dale Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton. The August Tony Tonelope Biscotti manages the Independence Day website. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. Check those guys out. For Independence Day, as always, I am Joe Armstrong. If you do one thing today, please be good to one another.